When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. (laughs) This is Ben Altman. So I watched uh, someone who I really recommend if you like our podcast, because I think he does what we do, but way better, is Daniel Schmachtenberger. So a lot of the things that I hear about people like about ours is that we're thoughtful. We try not to be uh, straight down party lines, have ideas that you might not have heard Mm. represented before. At least I try to and sometimes succeed. He's awesome. Uh, So he was on, I think this guy, Dr. Z is the name of the podcast or the guy. Okay. And they had a two-hour talk, which is great. A handful of things that I wrote, one of which we've sort of touched on before, but he used the term subclinical mental illness, which I really like, to describe uh, some people's experience and what I think is the state of society at large with regards to narcissism. So subclinical just means below the diagnosable threshold, but still tending in that direction. So you could have subclinical back pain or, you know, subclinical. Yeah, subclinical Asperger's, subclinical Mm -hmm. narcissism, subclinical sociopathy. Yes. Um, And he talks about the interaction of technology and psychology and how it affects us in in even more interesting ways, I think, than like the social dilemma, for example. But that one of the things he says is that the speed that social media adapts to your tastes as opposed to the opposite, you adapting to its, its taste, is the opposite of the human condition for many, many years. Like if you like soft ground, <laughs> that's not how what the world gives you. If yep. you like soft ground, you have to learn to deal with the hard ground or put a tremendous amount of effort into whatever, shoveling yeah, you and grinding learn, it out. You gotta learn how to make the ground soft. But if you don't like something on social media, it adapts to you. Mm-hmm. And so we have created, uh, according to him, and I buy this, these technologies that cater so quickly to our preferences that they form uh, and cultivate subclinical narcissism, which yeah. is this self-absorption and belief that the world ought to and can accommodate itself to you. Now, the problem no, is... I, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I have an addendum, but you finish. Just that the problem is that uh, people <laughs> are not like that. Like, yeah. social media is like that. What it shows you is like that. But when you encounter humans, they do not adapt to you nearly as quickly as your as your feed does. Mm. Yeah, the only thing I would say is adapt to you is a funny way of phrasing it because social media doesn't adapt to your making you happy mm-hmm. or feel good or fulfilled. It will adapt to making you enraged mm-hmm. or feeling like you're right, mm-hmm. but it, it is not actually adapting in a way that is necessarily good for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he talks about that, which is, you know, the... Like if you're super physically insecure and so you're looking at people that are beautiful, it's going to feed you more people that are beautiful that'll make you more insecure. If you're insecure about wealth and so you follow influencers that have more money than you, it's not going to feed you the people in Africa that are dying to get water so that you can feel grateful Mm -hmm. for your life. It's going to keep feeding you the shit that makes you feel bad, but that you're seeking out. Yes. Interestingly enough, things, things that you can't stand and things that hurt you are not synonymous. Like you might be addicted to photos, in fact, many people are, that make them feel FOMO. Yes. But if there's something you truly can't stand, which for many people is a well-reasoned opposing opinion, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that will get shuffled out very, very quickly because yeah. that is something you actually 
uh, have no tolerance for. But also they've done studies, social media, the, the things that get the most engagement are things that enrage you. Mm-hmm. So if you see a sad story of someone less fortunate than you, it may actually make your day better in a weird way because it'll make you sad temporarily and then grateful for the rest of the day. But you don't engage with it as much. So mm-hmm. social media goes, oh, this isn't what we're going to give this person more of. Yeah, yeah. So it's not... It would be great if it were actually designed to adapt to your long-term growth and fulfillment, mm-hmm. but it's not. That's what he talks about, and it, it sounds a bit utopian, but he, he kind of lays it out. He's like, look, if we, if we allow capitalism, which is fantastic, to run in the direction that it is, it is very clearly not interested in human flourishing. Yeah. And there are, like, markets well, are super efficient at uh, limbic hijack and... Go ahead. I see you. Well, no, I was going to say, and this may this may sound obvious, but the reason I say this is because I don't think social media's problem is that it adapts to you, and the ground doesn't. Because if the way it adapted to you was it saw you looking at people who were on steroids or who were, you know, if it saw you having body dysmorphia stuff and started feeding you genuine fitness information, or it saw you raging about gun control, and so it gave you statistics that were meant to center you more about gun control, or pick mm-hmm. your issue, COVID. Like it could adapt to you in a way that made you calmer, more thoughtful, more well-reasoned, charge you the nuance of the other side. Like you could imagine it adapting to you very quickly in a way that made you a better person for society. Mm -hmm. But you would never, you wouldn't use that app because you prefer the app that makes you feel right and makes you mad at the other side. So I don't, I don't know that it's the adapting to you part. It's the way in which it adapts to you. Adapts to your like reptile brain. Yes, it adapts to the things that make you in crowd, out crowd, hate other people and feel really vindicated in your own beliefs and hides all the good counter arguments to what you believe mm-hmm. from you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's the way it adapts to you. Yes. And that's something that, that he talks about is like, look, we've, we've got this brain. It's, it's not changing anytime soon until we get like hyper Neuralink in there. So mm-hmm. we, we're kind of stuck with this, this technology we have, he says it, I think we've got uh, stone age biology, industrial age systems and uh, godlike technology mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just and it's just not working well together um, but his question is you know can we set up a system whereby those systems are more up to date such that they are in tune with human flourishing and of course the problem is that is as soon as one company defects from that like you could imagine if everybody agreed like hey guys no more enrage bait no more bullshit. Yeah, people no, would like, switch off the app. If in order to watch a guy talk about his Lamborghini, you had to watch a kid walk to dirty water, mm-hmm. you would just go, no, I don't want to be reminded of how good I have it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm looking to feel envy. And what he sort of, what he does talk about is like, you could imagine a social media that was not as addictive as our social media, but still competitive compared to life that uh, or compared to staring at paint dry or whatever. Yeah, it'll just get crushed by the current... It'll just get crushed by as soon whatever's as, as soon currently happening. As soon as there's one defector yeah. that goes, eh, I'm not going to play that game. Yeah, and the reason play. I think that is because if I thought that there... I, if I thought that a social media engineered around making you feel grateful and educating you would do better, I think it would exist and do better. Mm-hmm. So, th- so I'm just looking at the evolution of social media and going, that's clearly a losing strategy. Yeah. Otherwise, someone would go make $10, $10 billion off of it. Yeah. So his other, and this is, you know, a long time criticism of capitalism is that it's a game of, uh, what is it called? I don't know. It's not outsourcing. It's uh, setting up externalities that you don't have to pay for. Mm-hmm. So like if Facebook suffered um, financially every time that they had s- someone make a poor life decision as a result of their products. That would be awesome. Or every time, yeah. <laughs> if every time somebody... <laughs> Opened up Instagram and then closed it 
and they had more depression or anxiety yeah. or, or jealousy, whatever, more negative emotions than they did prior, Instagram was forced to pay a financial penalty. Mm -hmm. It'd be awesome. Well, it would, it, you, you would <laughs> instantaneously transform the thing. So yeah, the, the algorithm would change. It would stop giving you the stuff that was meant to enrage you and meant to uh, make you think that the world was against you or whatever it is. Yes, yes. And um, so his, his point about capitalism, which is not a point that he made first, is that the, a lot of the game is in just creating externalities, whether that's pollution that, that mm -hmm. you don't have to clean up, whether that's financial risk, which you get the public to pay for while you privatize the gains. Uh, and so many of our problems can be uh, pointed to our inability to get actors to internalize the negative externalities which they currently create in our system. So how, he asked the question, how can we do that? And I was watching a video today actually that reminded me of that. Have you seen the primitive technology yeah. videos? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna bring this up last night. You saw the, the, the Sunny, Sunny V2, V2 yeah. great video. He makes very, very good videos um, and always just interesting and new in, in their own way. Mm -hmm. uh, but he talks about what, what you probably suspect is that there's these new primitive technology videos, which is like two guys in Cambodia and they're like digging a hole. And then next scene, it's an eight foot hole that is carved like it, like an excavator yeah. came in. And then they make these uh, impossibly blue slides in allegedly a hundred days. And he goes through the videos and shows that one, you can see excavators in the background, that you can see tracks, that you can, that there's drone footage of 12 people on site. Yeah, they say it's two, it's two people that did it in a hundred days. And really it's 15 people that did it in a week with tools. And yeah. it's not, that's not impressive. It's the same pool that got built in the suburban backyard, wherever you grew up. Mm -hmm. They're just pretending that they did it with sticks. Yes. And so externalities of that is just like, okay, so now primitive technology is not getting as many, the guy who started this whole thing, who does it himself. Uh, who literally just goes into the Australian outback and like yeah, chops he's trees with flint. You can tell he's legit because when, yeah. he when he builds a hut. A mud hut a, with, with a fireplace, yeah. like a, a kiln, uh, that he is getting fewer views is than he? them. On it all, yeah, the, the top view of these videos is insane. Wow. It's hundreds of millions of views. I thought I thought he was still doing okay. He's doing fantastic, but that they have surpassed him yeah. and eclipsed him, and I see them pop up more often probably because I clicked one one time. Um and then probably another time because it was spectacular yeah. and I wasn't thinking clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that he also shows that it's unclear if it's private or public land, but they then they build these things which they lie about building that no one actually uses. And then you can see the abandoned ruins of these places that are have like litter and stuff around them. So this entire, uh, it's it was just, I watched Andrew Schmachtenberger and you see this facade, this beautiful facade and then this, like gross, ugly backside of it. And what is the product that is created? A false image in the minds of millions of people. Mm -hmm. Like it's pure, I guess there's some enjoyment, but it's a lot of negative externality sure. that is created by this. I also thought of uh, Chris Hemsworth's PED stack in Thor, yeah. which like maybe sells more tickets because he's yoked, but gives, probably uh, contributes to giving millions of men's body dysmorphia and... Uh, other actors that work out hard not stacking up against him unless yeah. they also use PEDs. So it's just this, uh, one of the things that has a ton of negative externalities is lying. It, yeah. and, and I thought of that when I watched Thor. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, yeah, his face was pretty yeah, yeah. leathery it's, it's such a shame. <laughs> it's such a shame because I actually don't even think it's necessary. I don't know. I feel like you could just get naturally jacked people to play these superheroes or not even, let me rephrase that. You just get Chris Hemsworth to his peak natural physique. And I think people would still like the movie. Mm -hmm. I actually don't think that it helps the movie to have 
him be on steroids. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who bought it because they wanted to see him be more jacked than a regular 230-pound 6'3 guy who works out a lot and eats right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, I've you, you watch some of those videos. It seems so strangely, it's like the lie. Here was my question. I guess there must be a section of society that is not uh, realizing that they're all on, not all, that many of the superheroes. And yeah, you're saying, let's PEDs. use the most extreme one. Why can't Dwayne Johnson say, say <laughs> I'm on steroids yeah. or I'm not on steroids. I'm on HGH or, what, or HGH just, or yeah. whatever, like whatever you want to call it that, that cuts out from your little Venn diagram, mm-hmm. whatever you think steroids are. Yeah. Why does he have to pretend that it's because he eats so much chicken breast? Uh-huh. I don't know the answer because you would think that most people know that the rock with that body is on something besides chicken breast and rice. Well, then I realized if he hasn't told people, either he's slow or I'm not in touch with mainstream understanding of steroids. So yeah. perhaps perhaps this YouTube community of people who see more plates, more dates, or Philion just, you know, commenting on this stuff and laughing at it. Um, and, and I don't agree with every take they have on who's on steroids, who's not, but that that mainstream society just is not there. They They believe that it is possible. I don't know. I actually genuinely, not- I genuinely don't know because I don't, I don't imagine that anybody would stop watching. If you're a fan of The Rock and you're already seeing his movies, you go see Red Notice with him and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. I don't know anybody who would skip it if they found out that he is injecting something to make him so muscular. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, hard for me to imagine. I agree. There was someone that we knew in Vegas. A lot of people that we knew in Vegas had plastic surgery, but there was one girl who had had many plastic surgeries. And there, then, was, there were many women who had well, many plastic you, surgeries. She posted a photo of herself that said, all natural, no, no, you know what uh, I mean? Like, yeah. like, do you think that people believe this? I actually do think if I, you're talking about someone that we're all acquaintances with, but no one was yeah, close yeah. to. I do think that people believe her because most people don't live in Vegas, LA, New York City. They don't see a lot of plastic surgery. Uh-huh. And I think they just assume that these things are occurring naturally that are only obviously plastic surgery. If you know enough people who have had plastic surgery that you can see the signs or you yeah. can tell like, oh, that's that's fake. Yeah, But I think you only you get that from thinking something's natural and then finding out it's fake, which only happens if you're friends with or dating people who have gotten plastic surgery. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, Schmachtenberger talks about it. Um, and he adds, he, he adds systems and interesting names to things that you've probably intuited, but I think that gives a deeper understanding. He talks about the epistemic commons, which is the way that you can have a park, which is like the physical commons. And somebody who refuses to like take their trash home and throw it out can litter in the commons and degrade the commons that's what lies do to the epistemic commons. Mm-hmm. So like my ability to make sense of the world and uh, what's true and what's false is degraded every time that someone around me tells a semi-convincing lie mm-hmm. or even just even a lie that I catch. Now I have to be suspicious to yeah, a degree yeah. of everybody else. Yeah, because some people go the other direction. Some I've seen people who are like, oh, that guy's definitely on steroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just a muscular 185 well, this was pound upsetting guy. to you because you got this <laughs> yeah. well no i actually thought you got this which was the one i was more, yeah someone thought we were on steroids i was 6'2 220 and i was like okay i'm not on steroids but i get it uh-huh. you were six foot i don't recall this. 180 uh-huh. and someone was like you're on steroids and i was like okay now you're just <laughs> saying anyone that's in better shape than you uh-huh. is on steroids i don't remember that yeah I, I was uh i was like 
Come on. People are allowed to be 180 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't eat bread for like eight years. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was... And you worked out every day. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think never... so some people go, oh, the rock's not on steroids. But other people go, any sort of result that I'm not achieving is caused by uh-huh. steroids. Yeah. And, and the, the larger point being, which I like about Schmachtenberg, because I feel like a lot of politics can boil down to like red team, blue team, left, right, this side, that side. He has a really good way of standing above it and being like, what are the conditions of this system of opposition that make this conflict necessary? Um, and could we change the system and the structures such that it's not uh, red team versus blue team? It's the social media apps and the nature of our um, first past the post is it first past the post? Do you know? Do you know what that means? There's there's ways of uh, of conducting elections. One is first past the post, which is uh, I said, God, I have to look it up. I'm going to fuck it up. I'll set it up for next time. But you can you can incentivize two party systems, or you can give people like ranked. I think it's called ranked choice voting, where you're like, look, I want. Uh, number one, I want Bernie Sanders, but if Bernie doesn't win, then cast my vote for Joe Biden. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so what that sets up is, like, you can vote for third-party candidates. I think first past the post just naturally is like, well, if I vote for Bernie, my vote doesn't fucking count. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want a system where, for whatever reason, two people that have similar beliefs run and one person with different beliefs run, and so then you have 60% of the population mm-hmm. that broadly agrees with these two candidates they go 30 30 mm-hmm. and 40 percent of the population agrees with this other candidate yeah. but they all go to that candidate and so that candidate wins yeah. you don't yes. want that you get you get these broad coalitions that don't really represent um specifically a lot of people uh and you could you could actually have viable third-party candidates if you had this different thing so the idea that he has with almost everything is rather than uh who's right democrats or republicans or um, Instagram, Facebook, like what is going on with this system here and how could we potentially rejigger it such that this conflict didn't have to arise? Well, we've talked about this because I've, I've said I think the Electoral College is outdated. <laughs> I think it made sense back in the day. Someone said, I saw a comment that said I was anti-American for thinking that not every system created at our founding should still exist. Mm. thought that was an odd take, but I think, uh, yeah, that's an outdated thing. But the reason that you won't see it switched is because it serves someone, it serves a party, right? And then the second, let's say that simultaneously, I'll pick two things. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but Texas and another state both start going blue on the electoral college. And so now if the populace is voting 52% Democrat, but the election is swinging 63% electoral votes towards Democrat, the Democrats will suddenly like the electoral college. And so they won't, they've been saying we should change the system. Yeah. And then as soon as the system is serving them, they will stop because they don't feel as strongly about the principle that the electoral college is outdated as they do the desire to get control of the political machine that is u.s mm-hmm. politics and i think that's true of their voters as well and so all these people saying oh the electoral college is unfair if it swung their way would just stop saying that or and uh, you know likely would have think well it's our turn we feel justified there'd exactly be, there'd be reasons and so the, and so yeah. the problem is then the the, <laughs> the people put in power by the system don't often change the system it's the people that aren't getting what they want from the system that try to change it and those are not the people with the power to change the system <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you end up and I'm, I'm just calling this now this is going to happen all these people who are saying we should get rid of this and go to a populist vote once it's serving them they're going to say yeah well it's okay we'll just keep it for now mm-hmm. yes 100 percent um yeah that's it and then you see people that are that do have power like marcus aurelius and throughout history they're rare that uh are not totally corrupted by it. And it's it's like, 
Do you miraculous. Look at UFC fighters. Mm-hmm. UFC fighters need a union. Yeah. They, every other major sport has a players union. You can't make a fighters union unless all the top fighters get on board and essentially do what LeBron and Steph Curry do, which is take pay cuts mm-hmm. for everyone else. Because in an open market, LeBron and Curry would make a lot more money. But the fighters scrap their way through being underpaid for their entire career, getting paid at five grand to you know fight brutally, mm-hmm. make it to the top, and, th- and then it's their chance to make the tens of millions of dollars for a brief period of time before they are washed. You know, yeah, yeah. we've seen with Chris Weidman and Conor McGregor. And so these guys, it's a flash in the pan. They don't, when they're at the top, band together and effectively cut their own pay for the sake of the collective. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's not the people who have the power to change the system that's benefiting them often don't change the system. So you get is a lot of fighters clamoring for a union and and Dana White just says, I'll just cut you because you don't matter. Yeah. And John Jones and Conor McGregor and Ronda Rousey, the, the six fighters that would just have to get together and say, we won't fight until you make a, a union, don't do it because they're benefiting from Finally not having paid. a union. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that I don't think, I don't know how it happened in basketball, but I don't think any of those fighters would have demanded to escape a union if a union existed. It's almost that uh, people will accept that it's very tough to change the status quo. Mm-hmm. But once you're in it, like LeBron is not demanding to get out of the union, though I don't know that he'd be setting up a union <laughs> if he if he yeah, came to a league without I would it. love that. I'd actually, that's interesting to, to look into why those do occur because they certainly do hurt the top players. Mm-hmm. Uh, the max contracts, is it's an artificial thing to cap how much money all the max players make. Any mm-hmm. person with a max contract is taking a pay cut for the union. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd have to learn more about like the history of the NBA and all that kind of stuff. One reason could be that the owners did it because the owners want a salary cap for their teams because otherwise Steve Ballmer has a massive advantage. You see this sometimes in European football or soccer Mm -hmm. is if you have an owner with $40 billion and another owner with $1 billion and there's no salary cap on the team then it's just whoever has the richest owner will win. Yeah. Having a rich owner is already a big advantage because they can pay the luxury tax. So it's possible that the owners got together and said, okay, there's one Steve Ballmer with $40 billion. A lot of us only have $1 billion. Let's have caps for our team. Yeah. And then a natural outflow of that might have been max caps on the players. Yeah. That's, a, that's my hypothesis, but I could be totally wrong. You know what's interesting is that you mentioned you're like LeBron is taking a pay cut. Um, and there is a sense in which if the league was... Uh, opened up or disbanded that he is taking a pay cut. Mm-hmm. But in that other example that you talked about with like Steve Ballmer could just buy everything, there is a point at which the system tips and the league is ruined. There's no more competition. Yes. And so like this is this is the thing that you want is you want people to be fairly compensated in a system that accurately tracks second and third order effects of the incentives, which yeah. is like if we pay LeBron all the money, there's no one to play. <laughs> well, I think this does happen in soccer, though, doesn't it, in Europe? I don't know. I think there's a couple clubs that have much higher mm-hmm. uh, payrolls than other clubs. Mm. And it hasn't ruined it completely. So, Got it. I agree with you. I mean, that sounds like what would happen. But I think we, I think it has managed to not happen in certain sports. And I don't know why. Yeah. Well, then there's not... Uh, it's not simply... I guess it's not simply a tracking of where value is being created and getting misallocated. It's just... This guy wants more, and that guy wants more, and who's right? You could conceive of a world in which the league exists and people enjoy sports in both of them. Uh, so there's, yeah, uh, that's, I guess, a big tension between socialism and capitalism, you know? But I say them with the squiggle at the end because I don't think we've ever had pure 
either of those, yeah, yeah. Of those systems. So, uh, what else you got? I saw something crazy that I actually had to research today just to make sure I hadn't gotten it wrong. Uh, Arizona passed a, passed a crazy bill about police, about video police. Have you heard this? No. Probably because I said it very terribly. But basically, they made it illegal to video record within eight feet of a law enforcement activity unless you have the police officer's permission. So if a crime is occurring... Are you sure this isn't a headline? Just, just to clarify. Yeah, look like it up. It's, oh, a, really? it's a bill. Wow. So yeah, the guy who passed it is Republican State Representative John Kavanaugh. He's the bill's sponsor. And he says he's pleased that a very reasonable law that promotes the safety of police officers and those involved in police stops has been signed into law. His, his argument is that this pr- protects the safety of police officers, which makes no sense to me. But it doesn't sound that bad at first because you go, okay, just record the arrest from more than eight feet away. Mm-hmm. Except if a police officer takes a step towards you, then you have to take a step backwards. Uh-huh. So if there's multiple police officers, they can just walk towards you. And then if you don't stop recording or step back, they can arrest you for a misdemeanor. And a misdemeanor is not a felony, but it can be 10 days in jail and $1,000. So it's obviously not nothing. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't make sense. Because if you're like, if you wanted to protect the safety of police officers, the law would say, if you're not involved in the incident, you can't stand within eight feet of a police officer. You wouldn't need the part about the camera. Like, because cameras don't hurt police officers. Yeah, well. People interfering in, uh, you know, people getting too close or bumping elbows. That, that is what does it. So yeah. you'd write the law to protect them from the interference of people, which I believe already exists and is <laughs> probably well established. The fact that cameras need to be involved. Yeah, it's wild, right? I read seen, it. I, I struggle to imagine a, uh, a steel man of that, of that reasoning. Yeah, it's crazy. And I also think it's unconstitutional, but the way that this will work, I believe, is that it gets passed into practice and then appealed. And so it'll have to work its yeah. way through the court systems until it eventually gets to the Supreme Court for the state or maybe even the, the federal Supreme Court. So it will exist for a period of time, yeah, which is just crazy. Like, I think this is straight up unconstitutional, but the system has to establish that, which means that for a period of time in Arizona you can't record police officers with your camera phone if you're within eight feet of them. And if they step closer to you, you have to (laughs) retreat or stop videotaping them or get a misdemeanor charge. It's funny because you would think that cameras very well could protect police officers from false accusations that, he's hitting me, he's hitting me. Yeah, if I I was a police officer, I would think that I wanted everybody cam on at all times and 24-7 surveillance at all times. Give me all the evidence possible if I was a police officer. I want all the evidence of my actions, uh the criminal's actions, innocent people's actions. Let's get this right. Where we have, (laughs) like sports have figured this out. They want more cameras and instant replay. And yeah, let's get that for our police officers. You'd think that would, that's the what you would want. You'd be hoping that people are videotaping it so that when someone says you're guilty of police brutality, you have seven civilian videotapes that show you were lawfully arresting mm-hmm. this person. Now, now I am trying to think of the counter argument. And the one that I can come up with, which is tenuous, is that most people who have, have not experienced having a recording of them played out of context mm-hmm. and they do not understand how quickly a public can jump to conclusions about an event that they think they know about with really not understanding it. Yeah, I agree that you can get footage that out of context looks back. That's why I want multiple angles uh and body cams in addition to civilian footage. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, that's all that I'm thinking of. And the other thing that I think people will have to get used to is that there's a lot of, uh, one of the things that gets people not legally in trouble with video, but socially in trouble is bad words, mean tone, those sorts of things, which are incredibly common. I think a lot of the people canceling people for bad words would be, would have their shit shut down immediately if there were mm-hmm. a camera on them, if they were a Twitch streamer 24-7. So there's this selective enforcement as we transition from a, like 1990 when there's no camera footage of anybody to 2020 when there's quite a bit on certain people and yeah. still very little on others. But And I could be wrong, but I believe, for instance, there was that police officer that shot a girl who was trying to stab yeah. another girl. And he was exonerated. Yeah. And the public at first went at him. Out of context, information was leaked. And people were like, this is unacceptable. And then the full context came out. And I think very quickly that was completely dropped. I, don't, I actually don't think that that stuck with him the way certain other accusations might come out and then the mm-hmm. redaction doesn't yeah, get yeah. the same traction. So so I think in the, in the case of this kind of police brutality that people, once they get the context, do drop the mm-hmm. vitriol. Yeah, no, I trust me, I, I agree. You probably want more ability to review the situation and video provides that. So the idea that you would want to reduce that seems only to protect the overreach of police officers because it's not the private citizens who have the advantage in those interactions. So, yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was crazy. I think the one one exception is if you're the person being arrested, you're allowed to record yourself. But then obviously they just handcuff you and then you lose the ability to To record record yourself. So that's why it's so so helpful to have a third party who is recording you from a distance. So yeah, you can record the police officer, but then once they handcuff you, you've <laughs> effectively lost the ability to actually record them. Seems goofy. Yeah, it's wild. It's a real thing though. That's the crazy part to me is it's not, it's not a tweet that some random person without I, a blue check sent out. It's I'd love that, to know what they were thinking or at least their reasoning. But I just read it to you. That's a, that's a quote from the guy who signed off on the Sure, bill. but that, that doesn't seem to be a full reasoning. Protects him how? So I don't know what he would say. Well, this, these are all going to be completely unrelated, mm-hmm. but on to the next, right? Uh, WNBA player uh, Brittany Griner. Griner was detained in February at Moscow's airport with vape cartridges containing hashish oil, which is illegal in Russia. So I think we've already talked about this, mm-hmm. but it came out she pled guilty to unintentionally importing narcotics into Russia Yep, and is go- has been there since February, is going to continue to be there for a while, is facing a 10-year jail sentence. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely wild and there's also no good solution because i see people who are saying we got you know how is biden letting her stay over there they are throwing the book at her in a way they actually don't i don't know if you know this they don't penalize their own citizens this harshly often for this violation i don't know it's often a fine yeah but they're in their rights to like this they're not breaking the law they're just throwing the book at her and the request to free her has been to free an an illegal arms dealer that the U.S. has in custody. So the position that Biden is in is to let her stay in Russia for months or even years or trade her for someone who's incredibly dangerous and whose release will lead to death. Perhaps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's just crazy. And uh, we talked about going to Russia at one point because we have a very big Russian channel. And I said I didn't want to go to Russia because I was a scaredy cat. Well, that was pre uh this level of tension yes this was three years ago. i also am, i'm on that 
train right now. Well, so I just kind of just public service announcement. Don't go to countries that have very draconian laws or bad relationships with the U.S. because it's it can ruin your life. Yeah, it can just straight up ruin your life. And I I believe her when she says she didn't. It's not that she thought it wasn't a big deal. I really think she had these because they're legal in the U.S. in a backpack didn't think that she it. took to Russia. Yeah. Not even considering that it might be illegal there. I, I really think this was just a complete accident. I don't think she was trying to break the law because she just really wanted to get high in Russia. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'd, uh, I loved traveling the world for years. You and I moved all to very different countries, but I think it's becoming more and more important to recognize what what the legal system is of the country you're visiting and what the relationship with the U.S. is of the country you're visiting. Yeah, well, when I visited Singapore, they gave you warnings about drugs they said do not mess around with that here there, uh, there's an american that just received like 20 canings and is in the hospital you know they, like don't they're not going to get you out yeah <laughs> you're you're yeah that's i think well that maybe is why i wanted to bring it up and is something that i think i grew up was on the impression that that the u.s will get your back and they will when they can mm-hmm. but sometimes it's leave you there or release a massive arms dealer mm-hmm. And the U.S. isn't going to get your back. Yeah, yeah. And this is a famous rich person, by the way. Now imagine if you're just a regular person. So. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another thing, I don't know if you saw it, just in the realm of capitalism, there's now a monthly subscription to heat your BMW seats. Mm. Did you see this? Uh, just a headline. So the world of microtransactions is hitting automobiles now. So there's always been upsells for stuff in cars. Like certain cars don't have the heating seats. stuff yep. in your seats. And you can pay extra to get a car that has the extra equipment. But this is, I think, the first time that a car has all the hardware. There's no... They're not asking you for extra money to put in extra hardware. They have put in software to get that limits their hardware, and you're paying them to unblock the hardware that is already in the car you purchased. Yes. Which is I, crazy. I don't know why they don't just raise the prices of, you know, and, and, and collect whatever boost they'd see in lifetime value of heated seats well, that way. At the end of the day, maybe this is actually better for BMW customers if you don't care about heated seats because they do have an unlimited option, so you can pay... I wrote it down. $18 a month, $180 a year, $300 for three years, or unlimited access to the heater, the heaters in your car for $415. Well, maybe I could imagine that it's like, look, for some people, this is cheaper than the current option, maybe, for heated seats for three months in the winter. So you spend yes. $54 a year or whatever. But what's funny is the BMW already put in... They're already there, yeah. The So if it's if that's the price that you can pay... You get the heater installed. The margin is already super fat on And yeah. use it for three months. That should just be the price to have the heater installed for everyone. <laughs> yeah, we, we, had, we had this conversation. It's funny in a number of ways. We were talking about hardback book covers. It's like, this yeah, is yeah. not a better product than yeah. a soft cover book. Soft cover books travel better. They, they, they like You might like a hardback book on a shelf, but for almost every other use case, softback is, is better. Um, and they could all come with an e-version if they wanted because that costs next to no marginal cost. 
but prices are not set based on uh, the cost of goods. They're not set. They're based. They're they're set based on what the market will bear, yeah. and a lot of that is uh, what BMW is bumping up against is tradition, history. Like, how has this been built in the past? There are things that people don't blink twice about paying for. Well, this will, I mean, if they want to, this will catch on. I mean, they're already doing it mm-hmm. in certain countries. It's not like the pushback has canceled the, yeah. the rollout. I just think it's funny because you could imagine if it were maybe a GPS tracking your car, you could justify it by saying, oh, they have to, if they're, if your car's in the program, it costs them more. Mm-hmm. But this is just straight up the hardware's there. It costs them nothing to, to let you power it. Well, I mean, it's I can just make a different this- financial model. Well, I can make this argument against Charisma University, which is it doesn't cost us any money minus negligible amounts for a server. Like our the margin that we have above the cost of each individual Charisma University sold is almost all of it, right? Therefore, we're completely disconnected from cost of goods sold, and we should just sell it for the amount that it costs. You know what I mean? Like, and what would my response be? Well, there's other elements of the business, and I want to pay for these videos, which I give to you for free, and that's very likely similar to what's occurring with BMW. Just like, yeah, but I'm paying for marketing to get you in my BMW, engineering to figure this kind of stuff out. I just think it's funny because it's giving someone a piece of hardware that has a capability that has an extra piece of software to block that capability, Um, which is just a funny, that's just a funny business model. Yes. I'm trying to think if there's other stuff. Yeah, a lot of subscription services have a higher... Like when you're paying for a subscription magazine or Netflix or something like that, you're paying for the continued production of new content that that Mm -hmm. fills that out. And the heated seats is not being further (laughs) developed. It just is. It just sits there the way that it was on day one, but you are still paying a subscription fee that increases over time. Yes. And... I think, yeah, it's just a funny, it's just a funny model to have someone get a piece of equipment of some kind that has functionality and then has additional stuff put in to block that functionality for certain people. Mm -hmm. I just, I just find that to be a very, I don't think it's morally wrong. It's a very odd business model. I'm sure there's actually places where it's existed. I mean, I'd have to think for, for a few moments, but yeah, I bet you it's not, it's like uh, newsworthy in this particular regard, but I bet you we've probably come to accept that in a lot of other places in our lives. I'd have to think of the subscriptions that I currently yeah, pay, yeah. but, um, you know, active campaign, like how much future engineering is required for me to send out emails? And like, does it have to be based on how many customers I have or is that more... So Active Campaign is, a, is an email software and it charges you more as you add more contacts. Now, is that because the servers are like, ah, oh, we can't handle it? Or is it because they go, these guys have 100,000 contacts, they got some money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think, you know, it's worth it and it's worth, and they'll pay. It's like, what will the market bear seems to be how prices are set. Certainly how I set our price. I wasn't like, what's my cost of goods and, you know, what is a slim margin above that? Well, it's kind of how we set ours. We actually set ours also considering... Uh, having a refund rate that we were comfortable with. Mm-hmm. The market actually would bear a higher cost for Chrism University. Yeah. You, you would charge more and people would still buy it. If I thought that I knew the optimum price for me to make money on Charisma University and it was higher than our current price, I would raise the prices. That's not how you 
fixed the original price though. We originally was $900. We dropped it to 600 and you didn't do any math to try to figure out if 600 made you more. I did math. I did math. I didn't do good math, but I knew that I wasn't selling very many at that, at that amount. It took, it was one every five days when we did that. Well, the audience was way smaller. That was pre YouTube. It, it mattered. It was not a good price for it. As from what I could tell, I didn't like crunch the numbers, but it was, I think almost obvious from the the switch that it was a, a, a better change. Interesting. At, I'd be surprised only because every person I've ever spoken to says that after they raise prices, they made more money. Now, obviously you couldn't just make it a hundred thousand dollars for an online course. It has to be anchored to the amount of value that the thing creates, but mm-hmm. pretty much every entrepreneur that I've spoken to for a relatively new business, they're like, yeah, eventually I would had internal resistance to raising prices. And then when I raised prices, I made more money. Yes. And that's why we set it high. And then when it came down, this is the one time that it worked better. Trust me. I, I did not do this out of the kindness of my heart. I was trying to make our business better. I swear to that's God. That's not the pitch you gave me. It was, we were getting too many refunds. It yeah, wasn't, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's but not, if we, but that's not money. <laughs> well, it is. So if you have a, you have a $600 product with a 20% refund rate, and then you have a thousand dollar product with a 30% refund rate, you're still making more money with a higher price. Yes. What I was paying off was that it seemed obvious that a lot of people, like I didn't, I didn't do the math, but it seemed obvious that a lot of people were not feeling that it was worth that. Now, maybe I could sell the course for. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. You, lo- you made it a price where you felt like people would be happy that they purchased. Yes. And that's there not is, maximizing. Sure. There isn't, well, I could charge $4 million for it and try to make one sale a year to a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. And you know, that technically could work. Um, it would be higher volatility. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I preferred like higher volume of more consistent sales. Like, but again, it wasn't from the simple, pure kindness of my heart that I made that decision. Well, you tricked me. Really? You yeah. Yeah. Kindness of my heart is why you think I... You told me it was because you were uncomfortable with the amount of people that felt that weren't satisfied. At yes, the time. yes. And I think that also that, and that is, I guess there is some kindness in there, but there's also business savvy, which is like, if we have people buying our product and leaving dissatisfied in high amounts, Got that it. is so not... you were thinking long-term. Yes. You were thinking long-term health of the business. Yes, yes. I do think that's a bad decision to have like a huge chunk of people who interact with your product not yeah I don't disagree satisfied. I don't disagree um, but you could but you could make more money in the short term doing it yes and so okay so that's what we have done consistently in our business and not again I'm not trying to put us down uh, too much we think we think a lot about these things but we think we have ethical considerations which we do make which is like hey we can't offer this product at a discount. Um, the reason that we can't offer it at a discount is because we wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of that and it wouldn't be fair to the customer who paid the full price who just bought it at the end of a video for somebody on our email list to get it at half price. So that was an ethical decision and it probably would have been better for the business if we just offer discounts. We mm-hmm. just would make more money, period. People are used to that. They'll bear it. But we didn't like that from an ethical decision. But then I do think a lot of the other decisions we make are um, – solid business decisions, not because they're based on what's the right thing to do here, but what's the best for long-term health of the business. Mm -hmm. And then there's a third category of people that just go, what'll make me a lot of money in the next 30 days? Yeah, what's funny is that I actually don't know, I guess it depends on the business. Certainly influencers don't seem to be hurt by going short-term. Like Logan Paul doesn't seem to have been hurt by doing a bunch of hash grabs during the crypto frenzy. So- you're right there. I mean, I, and if I said this, I'm not trying to say that we don't make ethical decisions in the business. Like I did the reason that I would never offer an NFT that I for charisma on command that I didn't think was good. Again, there's, there's 
uh, businesses and uh, ways I could imagine having a valuable NFT is not because I thought it was bad for the business long term. It's because I thought they were pieces of crap, speculative <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, but if you, yeah, yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is, if you look at, you would think that lying to people about a shitcoin would would devastate your goodwill with your mm -hmm. audience and hurt your long term success. But that is not how it played out. It almost feels like people in crypto had a if you get ripped off, it's your own fault mm -hmm. mindset. So that tech lead and Logan Paul and people who did things where they enriched themselves and hurt the people who participated from their audience didn't seem to get a hit in views or positive comments or online defenders. So you were able to enrich yourself, hurt your audience, but not hurt your long-term ability to enrich yourself again. Do you think that's particular to the NFT crypto offer? Meaning like if Tech Lead had offered a cash grab course, would he have had the same scot-free outcome? Oh, no. I th what I'm saying is I think there was, for some reason, a lot of the defense of that that I saw is that in crypto and NFTs, there was, for some reason, this mindset of, like, if you get suckered, you brought it on yourself. So you're saying it is specific to the NFT crypto offer. Like, if, if, if Logan Paul had launched, like Jake Paul did, a garbage creator course— mm -hmm and not supported it, and it was garbage content, you think that would have stuck with his brand and damaged him more than Dink Doink did? I think it depends on the brand, and I think it depends on what you launch uh -huh. is, pro is probably the answer. Yeah, well, I, I think, uh, I was I'm, as I'm formulating now, yeah, I do think there's something particular to crypto, like you said, where people just, uh, there's like this buyer beware mentality, which is they don't lay responsibility at the foot of the influencer who is ripping them off. <laughs> they, yeah, they, yeah. They, they're like, there's there's some sense of, you know, we all tried to scam each other. We knew this guy was going to get away with it, and we all played the game. <laughs> so, can't be mad at him. Um, yeah, yeah. I I was just I used to think that you paid a long term price for short term hurting people for money, mm -hmm. and I have had to amend that belief too. Yeah, that's not always true. You should. Still, I mean, I think still ethically, you shouldn't <laughs> hurt the people that try to support you, but. I have been surprised at the resilience of a fandom to get scammed and stay positive on someone. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and, and true with a lot of things. Like I think like uh, you could have OnlyFans supporters who think they're talking to the person and then find out that they've been talking to someone completely different because the person doesn't do any of their own messaging and they don't necessarily turn on that person or even unsubscribe to that person. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a there's a, it's weird. There's a, there's a stickiness to some supporters, I guess. Yes, which is a bummer. This is that you would like, uh, especially at least in the cases where it became public knowledge, that to carry a stain that was felt financially on people. Well, I guess and, if the people you're scamming don't mind, then you haven't really harmed them tremendously. Yeah. Well, you know what's unfortunate is like the biggest blow to Logan Paul's um, ego and way of doing things and finances was when he went into that suicide forest and took a video and smiled, which I think was a lot of uh, discomfort with the situation. To me, that was uh, very forgivable. Yeah, he was overly canceled. He yeah. tased a rat and people got upset yeah, while yeah. they were eating hamburgers. A dead rat, sorry. He <laughs> yeah, tased a dead a, rat. an already dead rat. Yeah. And, and people were just eating up factory <laughs> farm meat going, oh, what a monster. How yeah. can you do that to a dead animal? It's like, so we, we now live in a... We live in a society where 
the thing that you will absolutely uh, be wary of is saying the wrong uh, utterance of syllables or, uh, you know, expressing uh, exclusion to the wrong out group, which can just be done with words versus scamming your entire audience has almost no effect. Uh, Ripping people off for millions of dollars doesn't follow you at all. And I think it's a, it's a bummer. That, that, God, I didn't think I'd have this much. Uh, I watched a video. Have you seen Peter Bogosian at all? He was one of the guys who did those fake studies where it's like, you know, we, we followed 10,000 dogs through the parks and we found out if their, homers were homo, their owners were homophobic based on if the male dogs were allowed to sniff male dogs' penises. Oh, and it's all fake. But they got, long. But and they got published yeah, yeah. They published every mine, major journal or whatever. And they published yeah. like Mein Kampf and they replaced the Jews with like the capitalists and they're like, this needs to go farther. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like just push it more. Um, so he's like one that of the most- That was hilarious. They, I don't want to breeze over that. They, they took Mein Kampf and they submitted it to, was it- I don't, Pub- research publications they did it to academic publications i don't want i don't have the specifics but they replaced the jews i believe with white men or capitalists or something you know the current uh group that is the problem and and the people didn't come back and say this is outrageous they came back and said we love this can you go further yes yes that's what they said on joe rogan borderline hard to believe <laughs> well just to be clear not all of like there are respected and less respected publications, but they 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 got published everywhere. Yeah. Um, there some of their stuff got denied, but they they were able to get into just about everything. Um, so he now is an interesting thing where he goes to college campuses, puts a bunch of hash lines on sidewalks, uh, strongly disagree on one side, and strongly agree, and basically does some street epistemology where oh. he gets students and he says, uh, "What was the one that he did? You know, trans women should be able to compete in." traditionally women's sports and biological women's sports and the kids move and then they talk. And I don't know if it's, there's a, these kids are really, really bad at defending their positions. And some of them immediately jump to you're a transphobe. This is violence. This is, it's, it's remarkable how, and it, it occurs kind of on both sides. There's a bit more open mindedness typically in these conversations to the less woke side because they understand that if they're not trying to be open-minded that they're getting in deep trouble and you're on a college campus and you're on a college if you campus. go to a rural red state you're gonna have way less open-mindedness on the right side so i didn't in watching that i was like is this because uh selection bias of the type of person who stands here is uh really weak at arguing is because college kids have always been dumb young people well sorry go ahead yeah, I don't know. Is it, is it because I was that dumb when I was that age? Is it because we've stopped teaching critical thinking skills? I don't know what the reason is, but for whatever reason, it is remarkable and harrowing to watch. Again, it's just a small sample of people, but whoever is showing up to these things, uh, what is your reason for doing this? He really does a pretty good job. Sometimes he gets a little snarky. He's like, I'm the most published researcher in the gender studies field, which is like, come on, my guy. Like, I know that's kind of true, but you're given a wrong impression of yourself. <laughs> um, he's like, I'm actually a gender studies scholar, one of the most published, one of the top 10 in all history. <laughs> and they're like, oh, wow. He is. <laughs> yeah, all his publications are bullshit. All his yeah. studies are made yeah. up. But Well, again, he's he, that is a misrepresentation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because that he's that's not what they understand to mean. What he what he is saying is, is creating a false impression in their mind. Um, but it's fascinating to watch them struggle and call him a transphobe and get, you know, the one girl with the classic, you know, the... the you know, and she she snaps when the other girl <laughs> makes a point. Uh, it is fascinating to watch how poorly people reason, mm-hmm. 
how they cannot answer the question, why do you think this? How they cannot answer the question, what do you, what would it take for you to move to one line over? Uh, their epistemology, the way that they come to their conclusions is so broken. And I, particularly what is interesting is the, the woke ideology has its own set of uh, built-in defenses against anyone questioning your epistemology, which isn't new. Religion has had this forever. Mm-hmm. You know, even the devil can quote scripture for his own purposes. You know, if anybody tries to, to question you, that's the, they're testing you for the devil's purposes. All of these ideologies have built-in defense mechanisms against uh, people trying to get you to think critically. Mm-hmm. But this one is, why are you even doing this? Who are you? Uh, this is violence. You're erasing, you know what I mean? Like this question erases people's experience. They have these these. Th- go-to lines mm-hmm. that they go to to defend against critical thinking that are unique to this particular ideology, but I suppose not new in the history of yeah. ideology. And it's, uh, if you watch it, it'll, some of them will freak you out. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of reasons. One, most people are just are not smart. So yeah. I think their ability to even track your counter argument might be confusing to them. I think a lot of people tie their political beliefs to their identity, which means that they f- do feel attacked when you question a belief they have instead mm-hmm. of recognizing that this is how beliefs are meant to be formed and sharpened and changed. I also think for young, even if you, so there are adults who would fail this just as much on a sidewalk because they are simultaneously not intelligent and uh, they have a, changing this belief would mean a dramatic change to their identity they're not willing to do because of their ego, whatever. But I also think if you're just young, even if you are well-intentioned and intelligent and open-minded, you may have not heard any intelligent counter arguments mm-hmm. and you may be in an echo chamber where everyone believes what you believe. And so it is obvious to you that what you believe is right because no one's ever said anything intelligent to the contrary. Mm-hmm. And so I think you develop an insane conviction and then when you hear the reasons why you're wrong, you feel like you are being tricked because it doesn't make sense to you because I'm smart. No one has ever disagreed with me before in my echo chamber. Suddenly I feel like I'm in the wrong. I must be being word weaseled. I'm being bamboozled. So I think there's, and also you hopefully do change your mind as you age. And so you would, you would like to think that young people change, have the most incorrect beliefs just because they haven't had the most time to change relative to what they were raised with. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's uh, probably most people, unfortunately, of, of all ages and of all political beliefs just don't have sound reasons for why they believe what they believe. Yeah. What sort of what you were saying reminds me that probably these people have never had someone, have never had modeled for them what it would look like for someone to uh, handle cognitive dissonance in a calm thoughtful manner they've, yeah, they've probably seen that maybe a handful of times in their life and then change their mind yeah, someone yeah. that they respect and yeah. look up to and have learned from to be in a discussion and go wait that is actually a really good point i hadn't thought of mm-hmm. i can't think of why that wouldn't be the case mm-hmm. you may be right perhaps yeah, i'm yeah. holding the wrong opinion on this yeah. issue yeah how many people have seen that from someone that they admire mm-hmm. i think few Yes. Certainly not happening on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, and he, he doesn't argue with them. He gives them the opportunity to discover that on their own, and they uh, haven't in the videos yeah, that yeah, I've yeah, seen. Yeah. <laughs> they have not gotten there. Uh, 
he's been removed from campus on probably two, two or three out of four videos that I watched. Like the teachers come out and explain how he's committing violence. Like the teachers all get out and tell them they use the word violence yeah. so liberally. Um, I'm very curious if Brittany, what's the channel name? Uh, it's Peter Bogosian, I think. You know, if Brittany, check it out. If Brittany Griner gets back from Russia, I'm curious how she uses the word violence. If it's still um, words. Uh, that are disagree with her or if it's well there's also yeah i think there's words that are pointed at you to hurt you mm -hmm. which may or may not be violence but then there's also just words that are genuine questions yeah. which it seems like i get that that can be a way to sneak in hate but you'd like to think that you could have a conversation just full of genuine questions that wasn't considered violent mm -hmm. that's and that's fair there's uh there's no charity extended. In fact, he's not perfect, but he does try to be blank slate. Mm -hmm. And what is most often projected on him is malice. Yeah, you are hateful. And now, granted, he there is a degree to which he has a history of trying to make these types of people look dumb. So they're not the radar isn't totally off. This is what he does. Is well, no one can make you look dumb. <laughs> they can only give you an opportunity to look dumb. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, I know you had other things. No, not much. I mean, the rest of the stuff, I don't know if we'll cut or what. It's literally just stuff I thought was interesting. So I like uh, social research. I take it all with a grain of salt because replication studies have been tough to get the same results every time. But I found one that I thought was interesting, which is basically they, this researcher went to people who had given a random friend a phone call, someone that they were close to in college but hadn't spoken to in six months or a year. And then people had received those phone calls and said, how much do you think it meant to the person that you made that phone call? How much did it mean to you that they made that phone call? And they found that people dramatically underestimate how much people appreciate being reached out to by old friends. And I thought that was interesting. That when you're doing the phone call, you go, this person probably doesn't care to talk to me. And when you're receiving it, you go, oh, wow, I'm really, I'm really appreciative that Charlie called me. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was cool and worth letting people know. I do wonder if there's, I could imagine some of the psychological pressures that would be on people to, for instance, so the person, how much do you think that meant to them? You're going to be inclined to underreport so that you don't uh, overextend yourself, act too self-important. You know what I mean? It would be a weird thing to be like, oh, that was a 10 out of 10 call for them. Like they really valued that. That seems narcissistic and self-absorbed. And on the other side of it, there's a, <laughs> there's probably a bit of pressure to inflate that number. So I wonder how out of whack those two things Maybe. actually would be. I wonder if people, I wonder if that's, I see the first one. I actually think the second one might be unique to you potentially. I don't know that a lot of people would feel, the, would feel bad saying that it wasn't, that they didn't care that much. People are uh, I, so ridiculously polite to people's faces sometimes you know what i mean well, so the person's like the not there sorry there's a researcher but it's not like the person that called them is mm -hmm. in the room they just don't know that <laughs> how what did that call me do honestly man that was fucking wasting my time <laughs> that was like a negative two yeah. <laughs> there's no way you don't think people would say that no no i would are you insane? I mean, I would never. I, dude, well, I know, that's what I'm saying. Researchers I'm, contacting me to ask? Oh, my God. I'm, my alarm bells are going off. That's what I'm saying. Crazy. I think this might be unique. That was a 10 out of 10 call. I appreciated it so much. Thank you. Yeah, I'd, I'd suspect foul play. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm saying I think that may be... <laughs> okay. That may be a Charlie thing more so than a all people thing. Sure. Um, well, yeah. Either way, call your old friends. I think it's good habits. 
I thought it was interesting, yeah. Because I've, I've uh, I don't know, it matches my anecdotal experience as well of, of thinking that the outgoing calls are probably unimportant, but also appreciating the inbound calls. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why I liked it, but Got yeah. It. The last thing I have is just, uh, there's no takeaway. I just think it's funny how sometimes these urban legends make it through middle schools and high schools somehow across the country, and then everyone has the same opinion and they're wrong. You played sports as a kid. Do you ever have a coach tell you, don't put your hands on your knees when you're catching your breath, put your hands on top of your head and stand yeah, up straight? Yeah, I've told us that in gym class. Yeah, gym class, if you're on the soccer team or whatever, basketball team, you run suicides and you say, don't, don't bend over. You get more oxygen if you stand yeah. up, fight that. That's weakness. Totally not true. <laughs> they did a study of how much oxygen you get in each position. And what do you know? The natural instinct that you have, which also matches what you see Kobe and MJ and all the other professional athletes do when they're tired <laughs> is the best for you. And for some reason, every gym teacher and high school coach across America just got this weird idea in their head yeah. that you shouldn't let kids put their hands on their knees <laughs> to catch their breath. After you ran the six, it was the 600 in elementary school before it was the mile in like high school. They were like, put your hands on your head. Yeah, but everybody's <laughs> Don't sit down. Like even, even <laughs> professional NFL players, and NBA players were, yeah. were saying like that. My coach told me this too. Like yeah, it yeah. made it across America. I don't know why or how, but I just thought funny. it was funny. And it's just a good reminder that sometimes you're just getting a ton of misinformation when you're 14 from an adult who has no reason to have authority over something, but they're your teacher yeah. at your random public school. And uh, one day you'll be that adult. You. One day you'll be that adult <laughs> yeah. spewing bullshit to kids. <laughs> So I just thought that was funny. I was like, oh, good to know. I will not uh, advise tell, that anymore. Tell that to kids when they're sure. bent over catching their breath. Sure. That's it. That's all I got for today. Very good. What do we got? The question I have is I've been in a relationship for about two months with somebody who has had a positive influence in my life and who meets all the criteria that I'm looking for in a woman, and she feels the same way. Cool. Our relationship is open, calm, and communicative, and we aren't afraid to speak our minds about anything. Both of us have been in long-term relationships with hers being a 10-year that ended recently in divorce. We understand what works and does not work in a relationship as well as the nuances that could arise in this relationship. When we began dating, she had a dog that she shared with her ex-husband who lived in our area one week on and one week off. I personally don't like living with dogs and don't ever want to live with one. Additionally, I'm highly allergic to cats and dogs, so I'm careful who I stay with. I've been in her place as our relationship developed and I thought that I could get used to the dog, but its constant need for attention has strained our relationship. The dog follows us everywhere and always wants to be involved in whatever we do at home. This has strengthened my feelings about not wanting to live with a pet, especially one that requires so much attention. It feels like we can't relax or be alone unless we go into another room or close the door. Our conversations on this issue have been frequent since we began dating because the ex-husband moved out of the area midway through the relationship, so the dog now lives with her 24-7. Although she was initially hesitant to take on the dog because of her active lifestyle, she feels obligated to because she does not want it to go to a stranger. Adding a dog into the mix kind of slows down our relationship because we both live an active lifestyle and are spontaneous in our activities. When I look at it from my perspective, I'm thinking about the present and future of our relationship. Temporary fixes are fine, but I don't want to live with an animal in the long run. A compromise is obviously necessary here, but at what cost? She has provided solutions for distancing the dog, like making sure it doesn't sleep in the bed when I'm there overnight and stopping it from jumping up and licking whenever I kiss or hug her. What do you guys think about the situation? I think that dogs are like mini children and should be, uh, this sincerity of the incompatibility should be treated as such. You know what I mean? Like if, I don't know where she stands and like desperately needing and wanting this dog. Um, But certainly if you were like, 
kids slow down relationships. They get in the way of everything. And she's got this kid. I don't, I'd be like, okay, that's an incompatibility that can't be bridged. Uh, the questions that put I would, the kid down. <laughs> you could, you could give it to a neighbor. Yeah. Put the shelter. So for the dog, I'd have a handful of questions, which is like, uh, is this the last pet she ever plans on having? Number one. Still might live another 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Then it would be, how old is this pet? Because um, one option is just like, last this one out. Don't like it, but this is a lifetime with this person and you're willing to take five years with mm-hmm. a dog that is less than ideal and she doesn't want another dog after this. And Do either of them have kids? Did they say in the question? Uh, I don't think they had kids. She was in a marriage previously. Yeah. yeah 10 years. I don't, 10 years. They didn't mention any kids. So. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, but I do, I do think this is uh, something that you could, it wouldn't be crazy to split about this if your opinions on it were very different, meaning mm-hmm. she's a pet person and you're not a pet person. I think that's close to wanting kids and not wanting kids in, in the amount that it seems to negatively impact you and would be a need to have for somebody else. So given that you could break up or you could be like, definitely clarify her future plans regarding pets figure out how old this animal is and ask yourself, uh, I think it's, I don't, I do think as a pet owner, sort of like as a parent, um, unless you have a really good option to give the dog to someone else, you have an, you have an obligation and a responsibility Mm -hmm. to take care of this animal for the duration of its life. And so I don't think the idea that, um, unless she can give it to someone who is like knows the dog is a loving family. I want to keep the dog though. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get the sense. She doesn't like the dog. Yeah. and, And I'm just saying that, um, I don't think it's like, you know, her saying, no, I'm not going to give this dog up is like a crazy stance to take, even if she didn't want to keep it. They've been together for two months, they said? They've been together for about two months, yep. I mean, assuming that this person didn't hate the dog and take it purely out of guilt, I would take it a huge red flag if they were willing to get rid of the dog <laughs> yeah, yeah. after two months. Yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, I asked her to get rid of the dog and she, she just did. put it down. I'd be like, this is a terrible person <laughs> yeah, yeah, to take. Yeah, yeah. Like that's their dog. So yeah, what's the, I don't know. This is just a thing like any other relationship thing, I think where you're going to have to sort out how much you how interactive be with you are the too. person yeah. versus how much you can't compromise on this. Like, can you learn to like the dog or train the dog to not jump on you? Can you... Find someone you love just as much who doesn't own a dog. There's, mm-hmm. it's uh, I I can't tell you which is right. There's a lot of solutions to this. Mm-hmm. It's the good news, so you can just pick the one that you mo- that most appeals to you. Yeah. One one option is training. Like get it, get a professional. Yeah, you could like train so, the dog. Yeah. You could find someone to date that doesn't have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, date this person, but see them a lot less and ask them to come to your place and get a dog sitter and you guys can hang out once a week without the dog. But if these things are immovable, this is, this could be break up with reason. I, I don't think that's crazy. Cause this yeah, is, yeah, that's what this I said. Is, these break. are different. I, these so are that different was my lives. number two option. Yeah. Just find someone to date who doesn't have a dog. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you'll, ha- you'll need to go through those specifics yeah. and those mitigating potentials and decide if those are right or if this is a, a deal breaker. So examine what happened to your cold black heart. You don't like <laughs> dogs. You know, there's a lot of options. No, it's no wrong answer. It's just what do you, yeah, you have a thing that you're butting heads against your girlfriend and you just have to figure out how to compromise around it or if it's something you want to break up about. Cool. Nice. We're moving on to Patreon. All right. Cool. What do we got? We're going to talk about the likeliness of societal collapse, defining Strong. your nemesis, 
and then the ethics of getting into real estate. Cool. Cool. All right. All very different. Yeah. So if you guys want to check that out, this is really, it's our main source of funding for the podcast. Um, it's basically 80, 90% of it comes from Patreon at this point. Um, a little bit from Red Circle as well. Also, I'll give you a teaser. Likelihood of societal collapse, strong. <laughs> you want to find out why? Join the Patreon. Um, but no, we do need it. At this point, um, because our ad sense, we were not doing a lot of the interviews, which sometimes boost our ad revenue. Patreon is what keeps us going. And we are hitting critical numbers that are close to not being able to keep going. So if you do want to see the podcast continue... We need, we need our patrons and we appreciate all of our patrons and you get this whole other uh, thing that we do afterwards. Yeah, at this point, it's this an additional doubling of the length of the podcast basically every week. Cool. So we love and appreciate all of you. We'll see the rest of you on Patreon. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.